0: Win. Back. <laughs> Welcome back. This is the feeling Soxy Clint Klaus show welcoming you back to the off season edition of the feeling Soxy podcast. Obviously, no White Sox baseball. They're no. They're not in the postseason. We'll get into some news that have happened recently with the White Sox on who is emerging as the managerial candidate. Jose Abreu news over the weekend, and we'll also touch a little bit on the Major League Baseball playoffs. We also are going to recap Notre Dame's game against, or at least I will recap the. I'll recap Notre Dame BYU and. We will also recap the big sports news in the Chicagoland area in the last couple of days and the Chicago Bears, where it looks like we're making progress. And we'll get into more of that, It and we will get right into the Chicago Bears talk. So the Bears, a game that really... You could describe as one that was going to start out very, very ugly. It looked like it was going to be a game that me and Jared both kind of predicted. I mean, we are on the uh, hot seat for our predictions. I mean, we both thought the Bears were going to get absolutely massacred in this game against the Minnesota Vikings. And we came away from this game being rather impressed. I mean, we're make it seems like with what has happened with how this season is supposed to play out with the Bears that the main goal for the Bears this season has been Justin Fields development and we me and Jared have mentioned before on the podcast Jared's not with us today it's just going to be me on the show and as we mentioned before I mean Justin Fields has looked has not looked good these first four weeks of the season and it really is raising eyebrows and causes for causes for concern seeing as how That he is really the number one thing that we are looking at going into this season as attributing as whether they are going to be whether a top five pick looking to get another quarterback or they have the quarterback position figured out. The Bears are still trying to figure out if they have the guy in Justin Fields. And I'll tell you what, on Sunday, he really made steps in the right direction. Now, granted, as we mentioned before, I mean, the game was ugly to start the game. I mean, the Vikings, it was boom, boom, boom. Kirk Cousins had 17 straight completions. It broke a Minnesota Viking record. They were up twenty one to three. And it really looked like my prediction of thirty-four to fourteen was really going to happen because the Vikings were in complete control that game. And the way that the Bears started off the game, they started off the game with a delay of game, which I mean, I don't know how you start the I don't know how you start the game with it with an actual delay of game penalty, but it happened with the Bears. And it looked like it was going to end up being a another blowout at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings and it was just going to be another check mark of ooh you know this doesn't really this doesn't really look too good in terms of Justin Fields but that is why the Bears are easily one of the best second half teams in all of the NFL the Bears came back down and they were down 21 to 3 and then next thing you know here come the Bears the Bears start coming back Justin Fields is making plays with his legs he's making smart accurate throw well he's I wouldn't say accurate but he's making smart throws I mean Darnell Mooney probably had one of the best catches that you will ever see a Chicago Bears wide receiver have I mean you you'd have to go back I probably in the Alshon Jeffrey Brandon Marshall years to see a wide receiver make a a spectacular catch like the one that Darnell Mooney had on on Sunday it was very very good but obviously the biggest takeaway out of this game is the Bears lost the game By after the Vikings were able to score a touchdown in the fourth quarter with two minutes to go, which, by the way, it actually goes to show we'll get into uh, some things that I liked about this game. The Bears, this was the first second half touchdown that the Bears defense has allowed this season, and it happened very late in the game and and at a costly moment where it gave the Vikings the lead. And so the bears, this is how the game ended. They were driving down the field. It seemed like that they were going to be put in a position to at least tie the game. But Amir, Amir Smith, Marset fumbles the ball, gets the ball completely ripped out of him by Dantzler of the Minnesota Vikings. And that was basically all she wrote. So there's really a lot to unpack for what we saw on Sunday with the Chicago bears. And I've kind of been alluding to it before, but it's obviously the progress that Justin Fields made on Sunday. So obviously, the second half of the game, he only threw one incompletion and had over 115 yards, and also had a really good running touchdown that got called back to a Amir Smith Marset got called for a block in the back. I mean, those are two doy doy plays on on Marset's hand on Sunday. I mean, tough tough look for for the young wide receiver. That's that's all I'm gonna say. I mean, get out of bounds when you are trying to at least keep the drive alive and i also have theories that he is a former vikings spy that was able to able to manipulate the chicago bears and force a collapse at a monumental moment that's just a theory that i just create but there's a lot to take away i mean the progress that he made he was able to read the defense i mean this, this offense looks completely night and day different than the one that we saw that we've seen the first 4 weeks of the season where they just make it so hard to just actually see them generating drives consistently in the second half this is something that we've been looking for this entire season especially the first 4 weeks of the season where they have just been playing the worst half of football and then we'll come back and play the best second half of football. And I'm going to attribute that a lot to the coaching staff. This is where I give Matt Eberflus and the Chicago bears credit. Whereas in previous regimes, and this is something that I probably have mentioned before on the podcast, but the ability to make second half adjustment and being able to adjust to the adjustments is something that this bears coaching staff has shown that they have been able to do consistently throughout the first five weeks of the season. I mean, I mentioned the stat earlier. The Bears gave up their first second-half touchdown on Sunday. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, that really goes to show you that they're making the adjustments and really, you know, whenever there is a situation where the offense or the defense looks completely bad, I mean, the Bears have the worst front seven in all of football. I mean, that's something that's probably going to have to get cleaned up in the offseason, probably get a couple more pass rushers on that defensive line. I mean, 35-year-old Robert Quinn's just not going to cut it anymore. I mean, you really are going to have to go out there and get some free agent pass rushers that can be able to get after the quarterback and be able to stop the run. I mean, Roquan Smith was able to stop the A-gaps. I know he's he's kind of had good game, bad game. He had a pretty good game on Sunday when I mean Roquan Smith had a very good game. Jalen Jones had a very good game. He obviously led the Bears in tackles. Uh Kyler Gordon seems like he's somewhat coming along. I mean, the secondary had somewhat of a decent game, but in that first half, they were getting carved up by Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson. It literally was the game that I thought was going to happen, and it was literally getting getting played right before my eyes. They weren't able to stop the run, which is something that the Bears defense has struggled to do for most of the season. And I mean, Dalvin Cook, it was it was no exception. Dalvin Cook had himself a very nice day on the ground. He had 94 rushing yards, two touchdowns. I mean, Justin Jefferson, don't even get me started on the day that he had 12 carries, 154 yards. Like it seemed like every time Kirk Cousins was throwing him the ball, he was, there was at least between like him and there was like five or six yards of separation between him and the cornerback, whether that was Kendall, jo- Kendall Vildor, who also had a pr- very nice interception. I mean, Vildor has played very nicely in the re- in relief of Jalen Johnson, who will, who we will probably be seeing on Thursday against the Washington commanders, but overall, I mean, there's a lot to take away. I mean, Dante Pettis had a, had a, had a huge drop on third down that really cost it. I mean, what, I mean, Dante Pettis and, you know, Smith, Marset, they, they had the two really boneheaded plays in terms of the wide receiver core. I mean, David Montgomery led the, led the bears in receiving 62 yards. Darnell Mooney had that 39 yard uh, pass that 39 yard catch. That was very good. So, really overall you could there's a lot of things that you could take away from what happened in this Bears game offensively offensively I mean it looked like that they were taking steps in the right direction I mean Justin Fields looks comfortable out there and he's even mentioned that now he's starting to process the game the game's starting to really slow down for him a bit which is a very good sign seeing as how uh, for a guy that we don't know is going to be the answer I mean we still don't know we it's only five weeks into the season and um, you know, so he's not really fully accommodated with Luke Getz's system, but what I really liked something else that I really kind of, um, uh, maybe alluded to, maybe not, but the aggressiveness, I mean, the, the play calling, the aggressiveness of the play calling from this week to last week, where it seems like Matt Eberflus and this bears coaching staff is starting to get more aggressive and being more aware of situational football like going for 2 after scoring the the Velas Jones touchdown who um you know that was a trick little play that Ferris Jones got himself a touchdown on they the bears decided to go for 2 and then just threw it to Dante Pettis who just got smoked immediately on a wide receiver screen but i really liked the aggressiveness of the bears i mean it really seemed like these first couple of weeks that they were afraid to really move the ball down the field it you know that was where you had Justin Fields having uh, Josh Rosen stat lines where he's only throwing 77 yards and 118 yards in an entire game where Patrick Mahomes literally gets that in an entire quarter. I mean, I'm pretty, I mean, Kirk Cousins had that in an entire first half. So 15 completions, 208 yards, and also had his first passing touchdown in five, I believe it was eight games. First, first passing touch. Actually, I have that correct. First passing touchdown since the first game of the season when he threw the touchdown pass against the 49ers to equanimous st brown so i mean hopefully that the bears can be able to build off of um this pretty this very good game that they were able to generate i mean i know that a lot of bears fans and i think i'm maybe in the small small minority with them that they would much that we would much rather that the bears would much rather have Justin Fields throw for over 300 yards, have three touchdown passes, and the Bears inevitably lose the game Then have a game like like a week three against the Texans where we were wondering if Justin Fields was even the guy. I mean, they won the game against the Texans, but inevitably, I mean, you, you barely beat one of the worst teams in the NFL in the Houston Texans, and you needed Davis Mills to basically throw the ball right to Roquan Smith that got tipped at the line of scrimmage and basically set up the game-winning field goal. I mean, it's gotten to that point. I mean, it's gotten to that point where we would much rather see the progression of Justin Fields than the Bears, than Bears fans will actually see actual victories on the field. And I think it's something that I think we all, I think all Bears fans are very familiar with. I think it's something that we're all kind of, I think it's something that we're all all right with because we know what the main objective is for this season. And it's been said time and time again, but the development of the quarterback is the number one, most important thing going into this season. It's not wins or losses because this is a rebuilding year. I mean, the bears have so much money in dead cap for guys that aren't even on the roster. That includes guys like Nick Foles, Khalil Mack, Akeem Hicks. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on. I mean, that's not even including Tariq Cohen, who hasn't even played in the last like three years so the Bears have a lot of dead cap that they're trying to get rid of. And the objective was very, was very, uh, it was very obvious in the off season with the off season or with the uh, wide receivers, the off season acquisitions, Equinonymous St. Brown. I mean, there's a reason why he's no longer with these, with the Green Bay Packers. Nikhil Harry is basically getting a second go around after getting traded from the New England Patriots. It didn't quite work out with him. I mean, Darnell Mooney is really probably your only wide receiver that, can get you uh, those big pass plays down the field. I mean, St. Brown could probably get you those if Justin Fields could be able to see him wide open, but obviously this is a rebuilding year. And the most important thing going into this rebuilding year is the development of Justin Fields. And I think the bears will lose as many games as they want. As long as Justin Fields is taking steps in the right direction. And then by the end of the year, we, we won't have any questions about whether he's the guy or not. Because, I mean, with this franchise, the Chicago Bears, we are a quarterback hungry franchise that is just waiting, just waiting for that quarterback to really save this franchise and bring them back to Super Bowl glory for the next 10 years and just be one of these fun teams that everybody talks about in the stratosphere of the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills where they have fun and exciting teams and these explosive offenses led by all pro quarterbacks. And hopefully we can hope the only thing we can hope for is that Justin Fields can just continue to make the steps in the right directions. And the Chicago bears, it'll definitely make decisions for them a whole lot easier because then you really have to just build a team around Justin Fields. And when you obviously don't, you want to make sure that he is the guy before, you go making these crazy decisions and trading draft picks for wide receivers and building up the offensive line better, which by the way, the offensive line this year has actually been pretty solid for the most part. I mean, Braxton Jones, I mean, there are times where, you know, it, he, it it looks tough on him, but I mean, there, I mean, he was a fifth round pick out of Southern Utah. I mean, what do you expect out of the guy? I mean, obviously Sam Mustafer has just been getting chewed up on the offensive line. He's obviously somebody that a lot of people want to kind of get out of there. I mean, he's a former Notre Dame golden boy. We'll get to them in a second, but it's really tough to see because nobody really knows. And Tom there, I heard him mention this on Molly and Haw on 670, the score when he does his weekly interviews, the Monday after Bears games. And he said, you know, a lot of people are being critical of, say, a for all these PFF pro football focus, all these, websites that are grading out Sam Mustafer as the worst center and one of the worst offensive linemen in all football and Tom Thayer mentioned that these guys don't know the scheme they don't know the block scheme they don't really know what's going on in the room they're just kind of going off of what they see and just giving them a one through ten grade I mean it really doesn't make a difference it obviously is something that you want to use in your tool but I mean I think Sam Mustafer is definitely getting a bad rap but and obviously it also doesn't help when you watch the film and just watch him just get bullied on the defensive line. I mean, so you, and it obviously he has to play with Cody Whitehair, not being in the lineup. Lucas Patrick has moved over to the left guard and taking over Whitehair's position. But I mean, obviously this is uh, an offensive line that's in progress. It's looked good at times. And at times uh, in terms of rushing the football, there's a reason why the bears have the third best rushing attack. I think the, the rushing attack of the of the Bears' offensive line has been very good. I think Tevin Jenkins has been very good at right guard. I mean, he should be probably be taking the majority of the snaps even when Cody Whitehair comes back, which it seems like he'll be back in about a month or so. But there's a lot to build on with this Bears team going into this Thursday night game against the Washington Commanders. The Commies are coming into town the first time as the Washington Commanders, and this is a game and we're going to get right into the preview of the Washington Commanders and the Chicago Bears game on Thursday night football prime video so obviously if you don't have Amazon prime you might want to get it because that's the only way that you're going to be able to watch the Chicago Bears game and this is a game that i look at and say that this is a winnable game for the Chicago Bears they're going the Washington Commanders are probably one of the worst offenses and maybe one of the worst defenses in the entire NFL. I mean, Carson Wentz is one of the most turnover-prone quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, he's bounced around from—this is his third team in his third year, and obviously Bears fans should be counting the high praises that he was not a Chicago Bear because there was a moment in that offseason before, obviously, the offseason where they ended up trading draft picks to get Justin Fields— where they traded up in the draft to get Justin Fields with the 11th overall pick— a lot of Bears fans forget that at one point in time, Carson, it, it seemed like Carson Wentz was going to come here. The Bears were interested in getting one of these quarterbacks. A Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, and Deshaun Watson was the, uh, those, are the three can, those are the three quarterbacks that the Bears were interested in trading draft picks for. And you might be able to say that they dodged the bull on that one. I mean, Russell Wilson has just been a complete disaster with the Denver Broncos so far this year. I mean, their offense just looks putrid. their offense looks bad. And then you look at Carson Wentz, this is his third team in his third year. And I mean, Ron Rivera literally just threw his quarterback under the bus when asked, you know, what's the difference between what's going on with the commanders and the rest of the teams? And he basically just said quarterback. I mean, it's just as simple as that. I mean, (laughs) I mean, Riverboat, Ron Rivera, former Bears defensive coordinator, basically just threw him under the bus and said, our quarterback stinks. Like we really are not a big believer in Carson Wentz. I mean they traded draft picks for him but honestly what do you what do you expect to do? I mean he has double the amount of passing yards that Justin Fields has. I mean the Bears defense, I think this is going to be a game where obviously Jalen Johnson's going to be back. The Commanders have a very good wide receiver room and this is going to be a a game that really comes down to if the Bears secondary can really keep the game in front of them and not let the these Commander these commie wide receivers get down the field on them. It looks like Deshaun Deshaun or uh, Dehan Dotson is questionable. De'Ami Brown, who had a huge game against the Titans a week ago, is, is questionable. Obviously, Carson Wentz is questionable. This is the injury report that is coming out today because obviously it, it's not really a whole lot of game plan. But you, the injury report is coming out. The line is even for this game, which basically goes to show you how Vegas is viewing this game. Look, th- there's no way to say it. I think the Bears could win this game. I think the Bears can win this game. Obviously, take my predictions with a grain of salt because it, it looked like that. My prediction of them getting blown out against the Vikings was well on its way, but the Bears were able to persevere. They they showed me something on Sunday. It was an ugly game turned into a fun game, unless you had the Vikings minus seven and a half. But with that being said, by, with this injury report, it looks like Nikhil Harry was activated off of injured reserve. It looked so the wide receiver room will. Maybe get a significant upgrade. I mean, Nikhil Harry was one was a wide receiver that I was interested in seeing because you know, obviously, you see the reports. Now, obviously, you take the reports out of practice with a grain of salt, but it looked like Nikhil Harry and Justin Fields were linking up pretty well. So it'll be a little bit exciting to see what Nikhil Harry can do and what he can bring in a Bears uniform. I mean, it's a it's a no risk, really a no risk thing where if he's not good, then you basically cut him and. You, know, you cut your losses I mean it looks like Jalen Johnson's going to be back so the secondary will definitely be getting a bit of a um I guess you could say getting a very bit of an upgrade you know you're getting your best cornerback in Jalen Johnson so and these teams have been picking on they have been picking on uh Kyler Gordon ever since the that first Green Bay game when Aaron Rodgers was just going after Kyler Gordon and I, you know the commanders are definitely going to be looking that way. They're going to be looking at Kyler Gordon's way. If, the, if this Bears secondary can make plays and really keep the game in front of them and not let these commanders wide receivers um, really get these ball down the field and not have the big dynamic play that the commanders are very, you know, Terry McLaurin's a guy that can fly down the field. Jahan Dotson, who's questionable. I mentioned he might not play. Naomi Brown. I mean, there's a lot of questions about who's going to play for the commanders. But as long as the Bears secondary can keep the ball in front of them and not let Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson basically run all over them and dictate and, look, and make Carson Wentz have a little bit of a revival and make and really kind of uh, bring high. Because a lot of people think that this game's going to stink. I think this game is going to be great. You should watch this game. You should watch. I think the Bears are going to win. But the biggest key to this is can they be able to build off of the second half against the Vikings game. Can they be able to build off of that game and be able to make steps in the right direction? I mean, this is a big game for this Bears coaching staff. This is really going to tell a lot from how they prepare these guys and their walkthroughs. Obviously, we know how good the Bears are at making second-half adjustments. I've been praising them for most of this podcast of their ability to really make the adjustments on the fly and really kind of clean up and really keep the Bears in these games because they really have been in all of these games for the exception of the first half of the Vikings game and probably the first half of the Packers game. This has been a bears team that has been very competitive and has been in these games. And with the way that they've been scrapping, I mean, we feel, I mean, let me ask you this. I mean, we as bears fans feel a lot better about this Chicago bears team than commanders fans feel about their team going into Thursday night's game I mean Ron Rivera's on the hot seat I mean Carson Wentz I mean what what we've already mentioned enough about how much he stinks but this is a winnable game. We w- I want to be able to see if Justin Fields can build off of that great second half against the Minnesota Vikings and translate it into a full game. So these second half adjustments that they make, let's make it for the full game. Let's play a full game. If the Bears can play a full game, there's no doubt that they're going to win that game because the commanders stink. There's no doubt about it. The commanders stink. I've watched them. They are not good. They are not good. This is a winnable game for the Bears, and it's it's one that they're going to need. If the Bears lose this game in the orange helmets and the orange jerseys, they should never wear those jerseys again, but my prediction for this game, I think this is going to be a bit of a low-scoring game, a bit of a high-scoring game, actually. I think the Bears are going to win this game 28-17. to 17. That is my prediction for Thursday night's game against the Washington Commanders. I think this is one where the Bears squeak out a victory. I think they win this game 24 or actually 28 to 17. The final prediction of that one. And now we are going to transition into Notre Dame football as Notre Dame won the battle between the Mormons and Catholics in Sin City, the Shamrock Series 2022. The White the Notre Dame Fighting Irish remain undefeated in the Shamrock series, knocking off the BYU Cougars 28 to 20. It was also Marcus Freeman's first win against a ranked opponent in BYU. A a team that me and Jared obviously mentioned, we alluded to it before. This was a very winnable game for Notre Dame. This looked like a game that I we felt like that Notre Dame was going to be able to to put some offensive points very early in the game and then kind of put their foot on the gas. I mean, Notre Dame's defense just absolutely dominated. Actually, you know, where, where do we start with how Notre Dame played in this game? The 28 to 20 victory and third straight win in the Marcus Freeman era, where it looked like that he was going to be Owen Freeman heading into the season, but three straight wins. It really looks like that Notre Dame is starting to right the ship. And Notre Dame, there's a lot of, great takeaways that we could take away from this game but first i have to go to the offensive side of the ball and give a shout out to first michael Mayer. if we are giving out game balls and i'll give a game ball to just we'll give game balls later but michael Mayer is definitely getting a game ball as he has become the notre dame pro the notre dame football program's all-time receptions leader and he broke the record on i believe it was a 39 yard touchdown pass i mean drew 11 catches for 118 passing yards, two touchdowns. Michael Mayer was just a man amongst boys on Saturday playing against BYU. I mean, BYU literally could not stop what Michael Mayer was trying to do. And I mean, you got to give credit to the Notre Dame off Notre Dame offensive coordinator. Uh, Tommy Reese who was kind of seeing his fair share of flack, but, but let's get right into the game. So the game started. Like this, Jaron Hall threw probably one of the worst interceptions of all time. The NBC broadcast was really hyping up what uh, Jaron Hall, the BYU quarterback, is going to go. And granted, I mean, BYU deserves a ton of credit. I mean, they are a very explosive offense. I mean, they got their doors blown off against Oregon two weeks ago. I mean, that was just a completely embarrassing game for BYU. I think it was one that I think a lot of people took a lot of stock out of BYU in that game and said, you know, this team's not really that good, but I mean, Jared Hall first pass of the game throws it right to Clarence Lewis for an interception, the Notre Dame fighting Irish. They were able to move the ball down the field and it ended up in a Blake group field goal. And then Jared Hall and BYU went down the field. And then this was really where the Notre Dame offense really kind of opened up. So Michael Mayer, and this was where Drew Pine really kind of stepped up. He had a, great game I mean second great second great game in a row for Drew Pine coming off um, trying to build off of that great game that he had against North Carolina where Notre Dame's offense scored 45 points Notre Dame's offense looked very very crisp in this one I mean when you talk about they were able to run the ball Notre Dame had 234 rushing yards and that of course was led by Audric Estiman, who has been kind of the bane of my existence on this podcast. 14 carries, 97 yards. Logan Diggs also had 93 yards on the ground. Chris Tyree at 42 yards. Notre Dame was really able to move the ball on the ground, and that really made things a lot easier for Notre Dame quarterback Drew Pine as he only threw six incompletions, 262 passing yards. Most of those went to Michael Mayer, who is now the all-time Notre Dame receptions leader in tight ends but this was this is basically the game plan for Notre Dame's offense and it's something that has been obvious in these last couple of games is that they are going to use the three different running backs where they have Audrick Estiman who's really kind of the power back between Chris Tyree and Logan Diggs as they are really kind of more like the thunder and lightning because you know it really feels like Every college football program has like that thunder and lightning sort of running back tandem. Well, Notre Dame has that in Audric Estiman, and Chris Tyree. And you can also even put Logan Diggs in that category. He had 93 yards and a good 33 yard run. And that really made things a lot easier for Drew Pine to be able to find Michael Mayer, who was basically just a man amongst boys. I mean, playing against BYU. I know most of these BYU guys are mainly grown men they're 22 about the same age as Michael Mayer but they could not stop him i mean michael mayer was just unbelievable in this game i mean he's definitely getting a game ball i would say that he was the player of the game but drew pine has just been continue but drew pine has just been continuously just coming up in key but drew pine has just been continuously been proving in game in and game out where it seemed like, Hey, Notre Dame has a backup quarterback. This season might be lost, but Drew Pine is really starting to play himself into a role where he could maybe see himself as the permanent starter going forward. I think that is a topic of discussion that should at least be talked about, but that's a next year problem because Buckner is out for the rest of the year. So Pine is definitely going to be riding it out as a starter, but you, I really like the progression that drew Pine has really made going from game to game to game. And what Notre Dame offense coordinator, Tommy Reese is really doing ever since he chewed him out on the sideline in the Cal game, as they really settled, as he really settled down, he threw that touchdown pass to, I think it was to Michael Mayer in that first game against the Cal game. And that was really when things slowed down for Drew Pine and he was able to make plays. And I mean, give him credit. I mean, he's really kind of right the ship where it seemed like after two games, this Notre Dame season was going to be one for the ages where it was going to be up there as one of the worst Notre Dame seasons at least of recent memory, I mean, I I've at least remembered a couple of them. I mean, that's basically goes to show you how many bad years Notre Dame has had in football and since in since the turn of the century. And one more thing on the Notre Dame game, I mean, Jaden Thomas had probably one of the best touchdown catches that you will ever see. I mean, we talked we talked earlier about Darnell Mooney and his one hand catch. I mean, Jaden Jaden Thomas for his first touchdown pass to be able to catch it off of the BYU cornerbacks back to just catch it off of his back. Like it was one of the, one of the best catches you will see in college football this season. I mean, it was just unbelievable. He catches the ball off of his back. I don't even think the BYU cornerback even knew where the ball was, but I mean, what a way for Jaden Thomas to get his first career touchdown pass by catching it off of A player's back. There was a lot to like out of this Notre Dame game as obviously it's the first, first uh, ranked win in Marcus Freeman's tenure as Notre Dame head coach Uh, up next for Notre Dame. Stanford is coming into Notre Dame stadium. That is going to be another night game, six 30 on NBC and we will see what Stanford is bringing. Stanford has, has really fallen off of hard times Um, They are not even close to the Stanford program that we um, sort of grew up with. Well, I wouldn't really say grew up with, but for the point for like the like 10 years, like the Jim Harbaugh and like a little bit of David Shaw where Stanford was one of where they were a team built, built very similar to Notre Dame where they were these physical teams that were going to run the ball down your throat. Bomb you with a play action pass and then beat you with some great defense. This is not the, this this is not those Stanford teams. This Stanford team is anywhere is not even close to what those what those early David Shaw teams and the, the Jim Harbaugh era of Stanford, where you know Stanford was actually at its highest when they had Andrew Luck there. They're nowhere near that type of program. I think, you know, when you look at they've won one game where they beat Colgate 41 to 10 and they've been blown out against USC, got blown out against Washington, got blown out against Oregon. They almost beat Oregon State. So, I mean, for Notre Dame, it's basically the perfect trap game where you find yourself, you know, you built you had a good win against BYU and then Stanford comes into town and you really don't want to overlook the Stanford Cardinal, because if you do that, then you end up in a situation where you get upset. And college sports, more than any other sports, is where the, you get these big upsets where you look up and you go, "Oh wow, we Notre Dame just lost to Stanford." And then we're, and then the feelings that me and Jared were feeling, m- m- mainly me, after losing that game to Marshall. I mean, they'll be right back. I mean, then we'll be bringing up the questions about whether Marcus Freeman. Is still the guy, is Tommy Reese still the fit to be the offensive coordinator? Those questions are definitely going to come back if they have a, if they lose this game to Stanford, which I don't think that they will. As right now, Notre Dame opens up a 17 point favorites against the Stanford Cardinal. I like Notre Dame and the number in that one. I think Notre, the way Notre Dame's offense has been clicking on all cylinders for the last couple of games, especially Ever since the second half of the Cal game, Drew Pine is really clicking on all cylinders. If they are able to run the ball really effectively with Audric Estiman and Logan Diggs, then this is going to be an easy Notre Dame win. But if they are struggling to run the ball, then that is going to make it very difficult for Drew Pine to be able to find guys like Michael Mayer and Logan Diggs and Jaden Thomas out in the flat and be able to make plays. I think Notre Dame wins this game rather easily. I, I don't think Stanford is really that good and Notre Dame is going to improve to four and two four straight wins in the Marcus Freeman era is what I am predicting going on and now we are going to talk a little actually I want to give a little bit of thoughts I mean Devontae Adams had probably one of the um one of the worst apologies of all time he pushed the cameraman and so is that what they're teaching there up there Green Bay I mean the Green Bay Packers, I mean, I'm just taking a little shot at them. They teach their players to be scumbags. I mean, Devontae M. Shove, the camera guy. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has been one of the biggest scumbags in the history of the NFL. I mean, basically the pack the Packers, they're preaching up scumbags. All right. And now I am going to get into uh some White Sox news. We had a little bit of White Sox news over the weekend. So obviously with the White Sox managerial search, I'm going to give you guys an update of what's going on with that. So Bob Nightingale who obviously apparently has more White Sox intel than anybody, I, it doesn't it doesn't really make sense how Bob Nightingale is able to get so much information out of out of the White Sox that he is able to know so much. So he had a couple of reports that he had over the weekend that interpreted to the White Sox and one roster move and another one in particular to the manager. So he listed out that three candidates that were out there that the White Sox were looking for an experienced manager. It looks like that they that they aren't going the route of the bench coach, really the guy who has not a who, who has no experience as manager. They're going into to the area of more of we're going for an experienced guy. We're going for an experienced manager. So. Any, any bench coach, any guy who basically has never managed a game in their entire life, cross them off the list. Cross them off the list. So the three candidates that Bob Nightingale listed in his report of USA Today were former Giants manager Bruce Bochy, who I honestly would not mind in terms of an outside-the-organizational hire. Ron Washington was listed as a candidate and – who is the, currently the Atlanta Braves third base coach, was the former manager of the Texas Rangers from 2007 to 2014, and the most recent manager from the St. Louis Cardinals, Mike Schilt, the guy who I do not want the White Sox to hire because it felt like that the Cardinals were at really their worst fundamentally when Mike Schilt was at the helm of the Cardinals. So stay away from Mike Schilt. I don't think he is going to be that good of a manager. I don't know how it ended with the St. Louis Cardinals, but I mean, there's a reason why they moved on from a guy who took them to the playoffs three years in a row, and they decided that it was not enough. It was not the right fit. Now, I mean, the Cardinals haven't won any playoff games anyway since they just got eliminated by the Phillies in the playoffs. So, I'll get to a latest of what's going on with the MLB playoffs. But he listed Bruce Bochy, Ron Washington, Mike Schilt, and also listed a bunch of other candidates that probably fit the criteria of what Rick Hahn is looking for in his next White Sox manager. And he listed John Gibbons, Bo Porter, and a host of other ones. Obviously, the one that people want is Ozzie Guillen. I don't know if Ozzie Guillen is going to get an interview. I certainly would not mind it. A bunch of people want Ozzie back in the managerial seat. But it really is just, I mean, the only thing I could say about Ozzie and his role as being the White Sox manager is uh, are there still hard feelings from how he left the team in 2011? You got to wonder if Jerry Reinsdorf and the White Sox still have hard feelings for how his first tenure with the White Sox ended, which was where he ended up getting traded to the Marlins and him and Kenny Williams were just really in this feud. But the story is that is that, and this was obviously what I heard on the NBC's Sports White Sox Talk podcast, was that Ozzy opted in for 2012. So he was already coming back for the 2012 season, but he wanted another, another extension, which I don't think the white Sox were willing to do, but then this, and but then there was reports that the Marlins wanted to interview him. And then when the reports that the Marlins wanted to at least talk to Ozzie again, this was really when you kind of just threw the grenade in the bathroom and just shut the door. And that just blew the whole house up. And that was how he ended up with the Marlins. Now, I think Ozzie is not very fond with how he first left the White Sox. I don't know if he's looking for a bit of a redemption story with him or, a list or at least like a little bit of a revival with with how it ended with him the first time, but I obviously wouldn't mind Ozzie as the manager. I just don't think that the White Sox are going to go in that category. I personally would be fine with obviously Joe Espada, the bench coach of the Houston Astros. I would obviously like him. Sandy Alomar Jr. is another managerial candidate that I obviously would like. But another one, but obviously I would like the two candidates. I would I would kind of buy myself into liking Bruce Bochy. It really is a matter of whether he, um, how it ended with the the San Francisco Giants. I'm a little bit curious. Obviously, it was a new regime and they wanted to move on and bring in their guy. And then Ron Washington, I'm not quite sure why he hasn't quite gotten a managerial hire again, but I would be cool with those two candidates. I think Ron Washington would be a perfect fit. You know, he is very sticky on the fundamentals, something that this White Sox team desperately needs. They need a kick in the ass in terms of fundamentals and being able to catch baseballs. I mean, you can think back on how many times this team has lost games throughout the throughout the entire season because of a booted brown ball or a guy not catching a ball or making a lackadaisical throw to first base. I mean, that's something that Ron Ron Washington is a giant stickler for and something that I would be in favor for of bringing him over as the manager of the White Sox. I think that is one that I would be very highly on. I mean, Bochy, I guess I could be talked into it if he brings in Willie Harris as his bench coach and then names him the successor. But obviously, the only time will tell what happens with the White Sox managerial decision. Obviously, with more reports coming out, I will give you a recap. And I will also give you my thoughts of what I think about the recent reports. There also was another White Sox report that happened throughout the weekend. And it's something that I will touch on a little bit before I get into the baseball playoffs of what has been going on with what happened with the wild card series and the division series is going on right now. And we'll give you, I'll give you an update of what to expect out of each series of the division of the divisional round. I will give you a, a quick round table recap, but this first, this white Sox report, I mean, so Bob Nightingale has reported, and this is the one that is obviously going to dictate. It's a pretty big one. I mean, it's going to dictate what the roster is going to look like in 2023. So Bob Nightingale reported that Jose Abreu, uh, that the White Sox are going to be parting ways with Jose Abreu. Now, I obviously don't know. Obviously it's coming out that he's not, that they're parting ways with him. That still doesn't mean that he's not going to come back. I mean, it, it seemed like that this was basically going to be inevitable. I, and I've, I've mentioned it to Jared before when we talked about roster construction, I'll probably do another podcast giving a little bit of a an off-season preview of what to expect out of the White Sox front office of what what they need to get fixed. Because I mean, there's a lot of things that need to get fixed, but I, I don't think letting go of Jose Abreu was one of them. I mean, obviously, when you think about Jose Abreu's tenure with the White Sox, nine years, he's been their best hitter. Obviously, he made it a lot easier to go from Paul Canerco, who was – who obviously was the captain of the World Series championship teams? He made it a lot easier to really kind of go from that transitional period from Canerco to Abreu, and his bat really kind of showed it. I mean, at one point in time, he literally was the only White Sox hitter that was even doing anything semi-productive. He was consistently putting together two eighty batting two eighty seasons, thirty home runs, and over a hundred RBIs. He is driving in a whole bunch of runs. Obviously, the twenty twenty season it. It was one of the funner baseball seasons that I have had in a long time. I really wish that the 2020 season could have been played to a full 162 because that would have been a, a very fun year of White Sox baseball. But even even if the 60-game season was fun, he won the MVP that year, 19 home runs, 60 RBIs. I mean, there's nothing you could really say about Jose Abreu that hasn't already been said. I mean, he has been a consummate leader. He has been a very big figure in that White Sox clubhouse. And particularly with the Latino players, with guys like Aloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, and Yoan Moncada. I mean, he has a very big presence with those guys. And I'm just, I'm kind of just curious about like letting them go. How, how is that going to affect those guys? Are they going to be able to uh, calibrate the fact that their leader, Jose Abreu is not there anymore? I, I'm i not sure. It's, it's a question that is definitely going to be asked it's something that is going to be answered in the feeling Sox, the offseason edition of the podcast. I will we will have that coming out probably on Sunday after the because Bear, the Bears have the game on Thursday. We'll have that out on Sunday. We'll recap the Notre Dame game and give you my offseason predictions of what I think is going to happen with the White Sox. But I don't think Jose Bray it obviously sucks. I mean obviously with it's a no-win situation because it was the number one thing going into the offseason was what are you going to do with this roster? I mean you have too many first basemen and DHs and it's creating quite a conundrum where now you have to one, you know, you're basically saying goodbye to Abreu. I basically it looks like that they really like Andrew Vaughn in the room. Obviously, I have no intel of how they're feeling. I'm basically just going off of things that I see on Twitter, but it really seems like that the white Sox really like Andrew Vaughn and they do not want to trade him. They want to stick him right over there at first base. I wouldn't be surprised if Aloy Jimenez stays, you know, I would, I would want him back on the roster. Luis Robert too. I mean, we'll get into all that later, but Jose Abreu, if I hope, hopefully this is not the end of his white Sox tenure. Hopefully they can kind of work something out, kind of give him a, maybe a bit of an extension because it is going to be such a kick in the nuts when he gets when he gets signed by the Houston Astros or the Los Angeles Dodgers and they basically are like, "Well, this is what you should be doing." And then he goes back to having a 30 home run, 100 RBI season and ends up winning another MVP. And then we're just sit here and Andrew Vaughn has like 17 home runs and 71 RBIs and we're just sitting here being like, "Oh, we just got left in the dust again by by another dumb trade, another dumb White Sox front office decision that I mean, it's definitely going to be magnified, and if it is the end of Jose Abreu, it's going to t- put a ton of pressure on Andrew Vaughn, because now everybody's going to be like, well, you know, Abreu was about was very productive, and now, I mean, now where's this production, Andrew Vaughn? It's going to put a lot of unfair pressure on Andrew Vaughn that, you know, you you feel bad for the guy, but you also know that I think this is something that he's been a little bit aware of, and you also wonder if staying in one position is going to do for his offensive numbers, but... Again, that's a, a conversation for a different day. And I mentioned that I was going to touch a little bit on the B- Major League Baseball playoffs. So obviously the wild card round took place. The Cleveland Guardians are still playing baseball, something that I did not want to be saying on this podcast, but they are now going to get a, ta- a little taste of New York Yankee ba- New York Yankee baseball. They are going to be having first pitch in just a little bit on TBS. But, you know, the Guardians, they, I'm going to recap their series real quick against the Tampa Bay Rays. Very pitcher, very, very pitcher heavy. You had Shane Bieber and Shane McClanahan in game one. Really the only mistake that Shane McClanahan made was giving up a two-run homer to Jose Ramirez, who has just been absolutely wearing out major league pitchers for a, quite a while now. And he wore out the Tampa Bay Rays. Game two took 15 innings. It was one of the longest Major League Baseball postseason games that ended in an Oscar Gonzalez home run that sent the Guardians to the Bronx where they will be taking on the Yankees. So, Mark, I'm going to say this right now. If the Yankees lose that series, I am going to punch you and your your franchise should be a civic embarrassment and should probably be demoted to the minor leagues. That's all I'm going to say about that. And also, Nestor Cortez, his all-star privileges should be revoked. And so that's that one. The Mariners were probably the big ones. I don't know who had the worst weekend in terms of a Major League Baseball, in terms of a fan base. Obviously, it sucks when your team loses in the playoffs, but I don't know who had the worst weekend between the three teams of the Mets. Well, I, I would, probably put them at the lowest because they lost in game three to a very good pitcher, Joe Musgrove. The Cardinals, who were up 2-0 and were 93-0 when leading by two runs or more in postseason games, they choked against the Phillies in game one. They gave up six runs in the ninth inning. Six runs in the ninth inning. And then they basically didn't even show up in game two. So the story of Yachty Molina, Adam Wainwright, and Albert Pujols is over. The Phillies are playing the Braves, who took game one 7-6 to six behind Nick Castellanos' power. So a good start. For the fighting Phils, the Seattle Mariners had probably had, as I mentioned, I don't know who had the worst weekend: Blue Jays fans, Mets fans, or Cardinals fans. And I mentioned the Cardinals blew the six, that blew a two 0 lead, uh, first time that they've lost a game when leading by two runs or more in the postseason. The Blue Jays were up eight to one in their elimination game and just choked. Car- they basically let the Mariners clawed their way back in that game to where they ended up losing that game 10-9. to It was one of the more monumental collapses that I have actually seen in a literal baseball game in a long time. And that was on the American League side of things. So now the division series, but the Padres, the Padres-Mets series, I'm going to touch a little bit on it. I mean, you, Darvish, and Joe Musgrove just completely shut down the Mets-Bats. I mean, especially in that game three when Musgrove only gave up the one hit, a guy who I wanted the White Sox to sign at one point in time or at least trade for him. I mean, he shut down the New York Mets. I mean, that was the type of performance of why I wanted Joe Musgrove in White Sox pinstripes because he absolutely mowed down the New York Mets. The Mets were so desperate that they had to try and do a sticky check on him to see if he was cheating. I mean, it was so ridiculous, and now we are probably getting one of the best series of the entire postseason, Padres and Dodgers, and also the Phillies and Braves, Padres and Dodgers is going to be later, and that is what is going around. I don't want to give any predictions because my predictions are usually wrong on most things, but I am predicting the Yankees sweeping the, the, the Guardians in three games. I think the Braves will probably come back and beat the Phillies. But something to look out for is for the teams that were on buys. And so far, we've seen two games, two games into the playoffs, and the two teams that were on buys currently are losing. The Braves lost 7-6 to six to the Phillies, who had that three-game series. You wonder if rust is going to be a factor with some of these Major League Baseball teams, and it kind of looks like that that is leaning towards that direction. I mean, the Mariners are currently beating the Astros seven to five. The Phillies beat the Braves. And it seems like that Russ is kind of playing a factor a bit, but I would not be surprised if all four of those teams came back and ended up winning those series. I would not be surprised if the Mariners shocked the Houston Astros, but if the Mariners were able to beat the Astros, then they are going to the world series. That's just all I'm saying about that. I mean, we might be feeling Mariner Marinery i mean who knows especially if they take out the guardians i mean we're feeling very yankee yankee doodle dandy is what this podcast is feeling like we're gonna take out those damn cleveland guardians mark we're taking them out let's go oh 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 thank you all right and i think it's time that i wrap up this show so thank you for listening to me rant and rave giving my thoughts on the Chicago Bears game what happened with Notre Dame football gave you a little bit of a preview of their next two games gave you my thoughts on some a little bit of White Sox news and some baseball talk thank you guys for listening to the feeling Soxie podcast